the people that haven't gone through their personal emotional and psychological process yet and don't understand that a lot of the stuff that they experience is just being rehashed from their past and don't know how to separate themselves from that critical inner voice and the, the anxiety and all that kind of thing. Like when you're an entrepreneur and you're entangled in all that kind of stuff, it can be horrible. End of October, 2019, I have this buddy. He's like, listen, I got some, I got some acid. We'll take it at the party. And I said, all right, sure. But I didn't really want to do anything strong. I'm like, I don't like to like, you know, I don't want to get too far out there kind of thing. Like I, I still like to stay grounded. He's like, no, no, I tested it. It's fine. And I was like, okay, fine, great, no problem. If it's like, if it's like just a little something, so I did. Turned out it wasn't uh, weak at all. The people that haven't gone through their personal, emotional, and psychological process yet, and don't understand that a lot of the stuff that they experience is just being rehashed from their past, and don't know how to separate themselves from that critical inner voice, and the, the anxiety and all that kind of thing, like when you're an entrepreneur and you're entangled in all that kind of stuff, it can be horrible. Welcome to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. The podcast where we highlight stories of dads on the other side of divorce. To inspire and give strength to dads going through it. I'm Ben. And I'm Yoel. Welcome back to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. You can find us on twodadtoquit.com, Two Dad to Quit on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and anywhere else you want to find us. Please reach out to us. We want to share your story. We have the belief that your story can help many, many other people. Please reach out to us. We want to share your story. And don't forget to subscribe, like, share, comment, and get the word out to as many people as possible. Today, we are sitting with Josh Polsky. Josh is originally from St. Louis, Missouri, and has been living in Israel for the last 14 years. He separated in 2019 and has been divorced for almost a year. Josh is dad to two children, an eight-year-old daughter, and five-year-old son. Josh is a digital marketer with 23 years of experience, including running his own agency for eight years, and now heading a niche agency for an Israeli marketing company. Josh also enjoys DJing, hiking, self-improvement, and cooking. So welcome, Josh. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. So what brought you all the way to Israel from St. Louis? Seems like quite a trip. You know, I mean, conservative Judaism and so Zionism just always be always being part of the equation, whether it was I went to Schechter until fourth grade and then Hebrew school. I'm a Ramah kid. Um, came to Israel in college. So, you know, it was never it was like it was always it was ever present. Interesting. Your family also Zionistic and wanting to like, are they here or just you? Not just me, but you know the importance of Israel was always was always sort of pumped in. Put it that way. Got it. And you came here single? Yeah, with my dog. <laughs> All right, dog still around? He's not. It's been a few years now. Sorry to hear. Yeah, and he's waiting. For me. It's all good. Did they take you into the army? No, I didn't even get the letter saying they didn't want me. I got here when I was thirty-three. Oh, so. Wow. There was no, you know, nothing. Got it. So yeah. going backwards, so you grew up in St. Louis. You went to college somewhere? Yeah, local? University of Missouri. Wow. You were a real, real local boy. Totally. <laughs> I was but in St. Louis. You know, in-state tuition and all that kind of thing where it's, you know, a quarter of the price of whether 
If I had had my way, I'd have gone to University of Wisconsin in Madison. Got it. There was a party school that one, isn't it? Huge. The best, <laughs> the best Halloween you can think of. Yeah, I definitely remember hearing those stories. I actually was in St. Louis uh, once uh, for a wedding, and it was just there were two things we needed to do while we were there, and one was go up in the um, in arch. the arch, yep, and also go to the Budweiser factory. And so the arch was like, it, it was cool because I'm an architecture guy. I'm obsessed and I always wanted to be an architect. And going up in that thing, you did not expect to go in an elevator that went up to the left, to the right, to the left, that, you know, kind of zigzagged all the way up was uh, pretty fascinating. And then I'm also like an adrenaline guy. So once you're up there, everybody's freaking out. And I'm up there and the thing is swaying back and forth. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing I ever did. <laughs> But, yeah, it's uh, not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty cool. Uh, and then when we went from there to the Budweiser factory, we we got a cab and I was with a bunch of people from New York. And the cab driver was like, I don't know, he could have been riding a horse and buggy. Like he was in no rush to go anywhere. Like in New York, they're like, get in, get out. Next, next, next fair, next fair. And this guy was just like, hey, so how's it going? Yeah, it's a different speed here. Everything's cool. Don't worry yeah. about it. Uh, so those are like the two things that really stuck out to me. Uh, well, that's the beauty of St. Louis is, you know, it's small town. You know, it's a it's a bigger city, but small town kind of atmosphere. People just laid back. It's a good place to raise a family. And, you know, I grew up in the suburbs and I still want to be in the suburbs. I mean, I'm in, I'm, I'm in Rehoboth right now, um, but I wouldn't mind going somewhere that's just further away from the concrete and the towers and everything like that, you know, whether it's a Moshav or what, you know, something where there's just more green and less noise. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. I grew up in Jersey, which is technically the garden state, but most people haven't seen the garden part, but I, that's where I grew up. And I say all the time, we're wasting the land and we should be building out and not up. It, it really, it upsets me. And when people are like, hey, I bought a house and it's like a four bedroom apartment, like three, four, ten flights up in there. You're like, what is this? Like, where do the kids go? Uh, so it's uh, I, I hear you 100 percent. Yeah, if we could just figure out how to how to sustainably integrate our living needs into like into the existing Instead of like flattening everything and, you know, tearing everything out, how do we just like sort of like integrate ourselves into it? You know, kind of like uh, Middle Earth. I would live in a Hobbit house. I would totally live in one of those houses. Those things are amazing. Give me a four bedroom underneath a hill. <laughs> well, don't joke. There's a, I think it's in Morocco or Egypt. I'm totally blanking. The place where they launch all the, uh, all the hot air balloons well they okay. once or twice a year uh but there's like a whole city of houses inside the side of a mountains built they didn't touch the landscape at all and they just built inside and it's tunnels and tunnels and tunnels um but you know they just in uh, masada they just opened uh, like a side cliff tour um, and actually I have from my vlog, one of my videos, I put up the drone because it was not open to the public and I didn't have any clue about it, that there were actually caves on the side of the mountain as well. 
where they found a bunch of bones and people and and, and uh, things like that. Um, so they just opened it. So it, it has been done. It's not it's not a new thing. There's a actually one of the national parks uh, called uh, Big Gouvrin, and it's got cave after cave after cave where you intertwined underground systems where you can go in. It, it makes sense because it's a crazy climate. So. Yeah. Actually, funny that you mentioned Bay Um That was where I, that was where like the seed of my, of my separation was sort of planted. Uh-huh. It was, it was a long time coming, but um, so I'm a deadhead and we had a party like up on top. There were some people that lived in a kibbutz right nearby and we put on like a, you know, like a nature party, but Grateful Dead. Um, and I had, I had taken some acid. I had been in therapy before, before that for probably at least a year. <clears throat> uh, just kind of like to help me cope with, with what it was like being in my relationship. And it was really, really hard for me. <clears throat> so end of October, 2019, I have this buddy. He's like, listen, I got some, I got some acid. We'll take it at the party. And I said, all right, sure. But I didn't really want to do anything strong. I'm like, I don't like to like, you know, I don't want to get too far out there kind of thing. Like I, I still like to stay grounded. He's like, no, no, I tested it. It's fine. And I was like, okay, fine. Great. No problem. If it's like, if it's like just a little something. So I did. Turned out it wasn't uh, weak at all. It was really strong because my friend was on antidepressants at the time. And antidepressants suppress the effects of LSD in the brain. And you forgot to mention that part. So the LSD was really strong, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it was like uncomfortable for maybe like the first 45 minutes to an hour. And after that, all of these things just started clicking in my head. Um, things that I had been learning about myself, things that I had been learning in therapy, like things just started to crystallize. Um, and so I had people pleasing tendencies and I cared what other people thought about me. And that's why I got in the relationship with my ex-wife in the first place, because I didn't think I could do any better, you know, all of the kind of stuff. And I had these, 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 um, you know, just these flashes, these epiphanies the entire time and things just coming together. And I actually had two tracks in my head that were sort of going simultaneously. One was if someone's not into me, you know, F them. Who cares? Not like in a bad way. Not like, you know, they can go, you know, go jump on, you know, which is like, if they're into me, then okay, fine, whatever. That's fine. And so, and one of the, and I, we have been having Grateful Dead parties for a long time. And I remember like, I would go to these and, and my brain would always be like, you know, if I was with someone at the time, what is going on with her? What is she thinking? Or if I wasn't with someone, I would maybe be thinking about like, you know, I need to get someone's phone number and all that kind of stuff. And, and always, you know, always thinking about how like someone else is sort of affecting me. But at this party in Bay Green, I just walked off by myself. I would go out by myself for like, you know, half hour, 40 minutes, hour at a time and just walk. I knew that everything was safe because behind me, I could see the lights of the party. And it was really, really peaceful. And just all these different things started clicking. Interestingly, the other thing that started also clicking was like, one of the things that my ex-wife was really good at is like applying herself to things. She's very, um, I lose my English sometimes. Missy Mati, right? She's very like- Driven, driven? Yeah, that's one of the ways to put it. And, and, and um, 
So I was like, I've seen the way that she applies herself to other things, like with our kids and with work and whatever. We had gone to therapy, but it hadn't worked. But something in my mind was like, I believe in her, right? I went back after, so the party was great. I went back after the party. I told her about everything. And I told her, I'm like, I know you, I've seen what you, I've seen what you've done in other parts of your life. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to, to make it work here also. Cause I was always trying, I was in therapy, you know, we had gone to couples therapy. Like I was always pushing for it. And so, you know, things were good between us for about two weeks. And then out of nowhere, she's just like, I kind of feel like that whole, you know, the way that you came back is kind of gone. Right. She started confronting me and doing this other stuff. And I'm just like, okay. So I went back to the one track, which is like, if you're not into me, you know, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And about, I would say maybe a week later, I told her I wanted to separate. So, you know, about two or three weeks from the time that I had been at that party in Beit Kuvrin, uh, everything just clicked and I was no longer afraid to tell her that I wanted to get divorced. Wow. Wow. And did you take anything after that? Or that was like the pinnacle? You, you were good? You, you sorted out what you needed to sort it out? Or did you take any more acid? or? Anything? Well, I mean, not to sort anything out, but just because I went to more Grateful Dead parties. But like, uh, <laughs> no, I was sorted. Like, when it, when it came to um, when it came to I already knew what I needed to know, right? It was like, like just a picture of a puzzle that's not yet put together. And suddenly that night on Baker Green just put all those pieces of the puzzle together and I just saw everything now. Instead of being reminded about a piece here and a piece there, I saw the entire picture put together. Wow. Yeah, I actually just read something that uh, Congress is in the middle of pushing for treatment using psychedelics for soldiers in PTSD. Sure, ketamine, ecstasy, all that stuff. Sure. Yeah, and as part of the expose, they said that uh, Elon Musk came out recently and said that he started microdosing ketamine to deal with his uh, depression and, and things like that. Um, but the the big, you know, the the pundits there, you know, it's a sketchy place to be. Like, you know, it's not mainstream, it's not crazy, but it's right. somewhere in between. So the pundits kind of, you know, their point was, you know, people are taking oxy and I'm not a drug person, but taking lots of different things that are being prescribed. So why not look at natural ways to do it? And you can be on those drugs for years and maybe you'll get better. But with psychedelics, it seems like it's either one or two sessions with a professional there that you like a ton of the weight and the clarity and all of that stress and trauma is resolved. And yeah. from your story, it, it sort of sounds the same. Like that one experience gave you such clarity. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think that, you know, so it's interesting because, you know, when you're, when you're tripping, the senses get blended, right? It, 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 it opens up things in your mind that I mean, to me, they're already there, right? But, but, but it, it drops your, you know, it, it helps drop the facade that you carry with you, your personas, and lets whatever's inside 
just come out. And that also includes fears and all that other kind of stuff. Like people talk about having bad trips and things. To me, the bad trip really comes when you have things that are unresolved inside. And whatever it is that you're taking just opens up and let it go. Now, obviously, sometimes if you take something that's too strong, it'll just wreak havoc on your brain. And that will cause a bad trip, too. But, you know, I remember in college, um, we took we went to a rave. And we did we did ecstasy at a rave, and that was just for fun, right? But then afterwards, oh, we're really smart. We ate some mushrooms. It's like three or four o'clock in the morning, and we decided to eat mushrooms. And I just remember I had this one buddy who was like, everyone was kind of off doing their own thing, and he was just like, nobody wants to talk to me. And it's not that it was, it's not that it's true, but there are certain things about him that are a little bit too much. Right. And so sometimes people would come, but not get necessarily too close for too long because he just has this certain kind of personality. And so like the psychedelics will bring it out. Something that I actually proposed to my ex-wife before we got divorced was I said to her, let's go do uh, MDMA therapy. First of all, it's awesome. Like it feels good. Right. So there's just like like you said, the pundits, they have a thing with, with, you know, there's the stigma that goes with psychedelics and it goes with some of those drugs. But it's only things that the government, you know, like stigmas that the government or religion, you know, or mainly Christianity has like attached to say that those things are bad, right? But they're not really that, they're not bad. Like if you do it in a way that's supposed to be constructive, like why is LSD or ketamine or something like that still, still illegal when alcohol, which is the one of the most destructive you can buy it anywhere, right? So it's just what have we attached? What kind of labels have we attached to that stuff? Yeah, wow. And and so, you being a deadhead, how, you know, how do you define that for yourself? Is that going back, you know, thirty years? Is that? Yeah. So I actually, I actually used to used to like quote unquote hate the dead, but it was really just the deadheads. Before I really knew the music, I'm just like, these people are so annoying. <laughs> Shut up already, right? And then, because I had friends that were deadheads since, you know, so I, when I was in Camp Ramah, obviously there's a whole thing about like Jews and Grateful Dead and Fish and just jam bands, like the scene. There's like a disproportionate amount of us that are in that scene. And so at Camp Ramah, most of my friends were heads. And at first I was like, I wish you guys would shut up. But then when we went to Israel in 93 and we would go out, like, you know, we stayed at this place in Jerusalem called the Chava and there was a big tennis court there. So someone would just, you know, bring out a radio or, you know, a disc man and some, some portable speakers. And we go listen to, we go to the tennis court and just stare at the, stare at the moon and the stars uh, and listen to the dead. So that's when I first started getting into the dead. So that was 93. Wow. 30 years ago. Yeah. 30 years ago. And then, I started, that was just like my first, like sort of getting into it. And then when I got back to the States, um, I had a buddy, a couple buddies in, in high school that were deadheads. And then it just, you know, then, then, and then I went to college. And when I was in Israel again in college, uh, my sweet mate was a major deadhead and just had cases of tapes. So I went to University of Missouri. He went to Kansas when we got, when we got back. You know, we would go visit each other. And I remember one time I get to his place and he started becoming like a real uh, sound quality snob. And he just had cases and cases of tapes. He's like, take whatever you want, 
from that stack over there. And I remember I went home with like 90 shows. I had this gigantic case logic, you know, padded thing with the slots yeah. and you put the tapes and I had that thing. And I went back to my fraternity, I was AE Pi, right? And I went back to my fraternity and there was also heads in the, in, in the house. And just from there, like it like really took. Um, and then, you know, I saw them once in 94. One of my friends, the friend that I told you about that I have in high school, we went and we saw them in St. Louis in 94. And then I was a camper mom when Jerry died and there were so many sad people and they were just playing like dead on the, on the, on the camp radio the entire time. Um, and then after I graduated, I went and I saw, actually, no, you know what? In 97, 96 or 97, so my rabbi uh, was a, is a deadhead too. He's in, he's in, he's in uh, Israel now. Nice. Um, yeah, so he and I went to Further Festival, which was like a year or two after, you know, after Jerry died, and the guys were all like, "Okay, let's start doing some music again." And each of them had their own bands, right? Plus Mo and um, like Blues Traveler and stuff like that, right? So there was Further Festival for a couple of years, and I went one year with my rabbi, and so we're walking around outside, and there's you know just people just getting high all, and I'm like, was it was like '96, so I'm like 20, right? I'm still really, really young and still naive. And it's weird for me to be walking around uh, essentially a dead show with my rabbi, people getting high everywhere. My rabbi is looking at like glass pieces laid out on the blankets and stuff. But at some point it got totally cool. And then we went in and he's like all dancing and I'm dancing. And it was just, it was really fun. And then, you know, saw all the different iterations of the dead for however many years after that. Wow. So you, did you go any more concerts festivals you did the whole scene i did so I, you know i went to all the further festivals i went i saw them so then they called themselves the other ones because the other one is what is a dead song so they call themselves the other ones for a while uh that was maybe two years and i saw them in alpine valley for that and then they were just the dead which was everybody back except for jerry obviously um and i saw that a few times and then in 2019 just before corona in like june i went back to the states to visit and I saw Dead and Company at Wrigley Field. Wow. And then actually here, so uh, there's a, a significant amount of deadheads in Israel. Uh, you know, you, there's actually two communities. There's one, there's like the religious American deadheads. And then you have actually the Israeli deadheads who somehow got infected by somebody else. Um, and we have festivals. So there's actually a, a, a nonprofit like association in Amuta called Grateful Music. And we, we have events. I DJ with them. I do their marketing. I do all the Facebook campaigns for all the different events. Um, we have a big festival in the summer that takes place in the desert. We have a smaller one in Tel Aviv in the winter. It's our winter party. We have something. So there's the day, the date of Jerry's birth and the date of his death is like, um, like August. It's like, one day in early August and then a day in mid-August, right? So, so you know, on on uh, what what Jewish holiday is in, what are they called? Bena, Bena, Bena Metavim, what's that thing? Something like that, right? It's like a Jewish holiday. What's hap what Jewish holiday is in, is in, is in August? Uh, there's Tisha B'Av. That's what it is, not holiday, but Tisha B'Av, right? And so there's like a certain amount of days or whatever, it's called Bena. three weeks. The three weeks. Yes, that. So Jerry, so there's they celebrate Jerry in English speaking countries and they call it days between because days between is also a dead song. 
So they call it days between, which is the stretch of time. And there's like, as always a celebration every day on the radio, there's something here. We call it Bain Ametahim, which is between the strings, right? And so we also have a festival um, somewhere in the north where it's, you know, we get together, we DJ someone, we'll have, there'll be live music, and then we DJ just songs from all the different shows. And, and so, yeah, so that's what we have here. It's called Grateful Music, and we have events like four or five times a year. Cool. And so how did you get into the, the DJing? That was a college thing? No, not at all. It was a dead thing, actually. So the story behind me even meeting deadheads is I was at a trance festival on the Kinneret uh, Indigo Festival in like 2000 and maybe like 12. We're talking like trance, right? So Man With No Name, uh, Juno Reactor, like that stuff. But, you know, everyone's asleep at like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. All the DJs are still sleeping because the party went to like five or six in the morning. Right? right. So so no trance music, no nothing. But there's an area where there's supposed to be live music. Uh, but it was all tense and everything like that. So there wasn't any music that was happening. But I walk past this area and I hear the dead. What? So I started asking people. I'm like, is this you? Is this you? Is this you? Like, no, no, no. And they point to some dude over there. And I saw him. I, it was him and his, his, his wife and his and his daughter or maybe like their baby. And there's dead coming from, from their tent. I just went and I just sat down with them. And I started talking. And we've been friends ever since. So in 2019, so about a month, two, month and a half after I had split up with my, with my ex, there was winter party. And they asked me if I wanted to DJ. And I said, sure. So that was my first taste of DJing was at a Grateful Dead party in Tel Aviv. That was really fun. And I've been doing it for them ever since. And now I actually do it myself. I, so at Hudna in Florentine, we have Grateful Dead night every couple of months. And it's my thing and, and I DJ and we actually have, it's actually coming up in, uh, in a couple of weeks. So that's how I do it. And I also DJ hip hop sometimes if I can find something, but Israel, it, like old school hip hop in Israel is really, it's really niche. And to get enough people to come out to warrant actually throwing an event takes a lot of effort. I did one time at Hudna, not that many people came out. And then I did it at a bar in Risham. And I'm trying, like, I'd like to do it again. I just haven't really found anywhere where I could actually have an old school hip hop party in, in Israel or Tel Aviv. So I have two questions for you. One, do you yeah. have a DJ name? Uh, kind of. Like I, Paul Skarama, like I have, wow. so my first friends in Tel Aviv were Brits and one of them, she was like, Paul Skarama in her, in her, in her English voice. And so I was like, ah, I kind of like that. I'll use that sometimes. So like when I, sometimes when I DJ hip hop, it's Paul Skarama. And sometimes when I do my, that stuff it is, but usually I'm just like, you know, just DJ Paul C. Okay. And my second question is, how does a dead DJ, like, are you mixing or is it just deciding which songs are going to play straight? Right. So, you know, the dead played like, I think it was 1500 shows or 2100 shows or something like that. Right. So basically I just, I, I figure out what song I want to play and then I listen to, so there's a website called heady version okay. and it, you put in the song that you want and then people like upvote songs. Right. So I'll start there. Like I'll say, okay, I want to play uh, Saint Stephen, 
So I go to heavy version and I type in St. Stephen and I see like which ones people said that they like. And so I'll start listening to those. But I have a buddy here, my friend Mike, who has just like terabytes of music. And I have about a terabyte and a half that he gave me. So I'll search in there too. And I'll just know like, all right, I want to play this song. I'm going to go listen to, I don't know, 10 or 15 versions until I find the one that I want to play. And so I build my, I build my set list like that. There's like a little bit of mixing. Not, it's more like curating. Okay, got it. I mean, that yeah, it's not like hip hop and you're actually making the songs flow from one to the other. And, and you're not up there, you know. Maybe sometimes, if, if the crowd is pumped enough. Cool. And so have you passed this love of dead music to your kids? Yeah, I mean, you know, they request songs. So that, that makes me really happy. Like that's I'm gonna play Shakedown Street, and I'm like, oh no problem. That's not bad. I actually we actually had like rock, it's called like rockabye or rockalullaby, okay. something like that. And there were definitely dead songs on there, but it's without the words, mm -hmm. so it's just the music used turned into lullaby songs. Mm -hmm. um, I know that's so clever, yeah. yeah, so we definitely had that, which I'm sure had an impact. Yeah, my kids actually have asked me multiple times, like, when can we come DJ with you? And uh, and I'm like, well when it's during the day <laughs> for now when it's during the day because i'm usually the late set now you get to dj the birthday parties yep i'm into it i'll do it for sure awesome uh so uh, so you're you're djing you're marketing you're you were you were marketing um since college was that always your your field or no. did you, you wiggle your way there? Yeah, it just sort of happened. I was a, I was a poli-sci major, and I actually wanted to be a lobbyist for Israel. But if you want to be a lobbyist for Israel, you have to go to Washington, D.C. and work for Peanuts. And yeah. that was just not in the cards. I probably should have checked that first, but, you know, whatever. Like, back when I was when I was in college, it was just go to school, get a degree, get a job, right? But 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 actually, it was – that was sort of like the beginning phases of that not – really being reality anymore is yep. when I came out of college that unless you're getting a master's or you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor or something like really specific, that whole get a degree and get a job thing was, was fizzling quickly. 100%. So, so, um, uh, my dad, my dad was in real estate and he had a client that had a consulting firm. And so I went and worked like, I was like worked front desk at this consulting firm. Uh, I took some classes in HTML and CSS and DHTML and ASP. And then a guy who my dad was in youth group with, in, um, what was the youth group? Uh, not, not NCSY or USY. USY. In BBYO, because I was in USY. In BBYO, I think, um, AZA. That's what they called it when they were kids, right? It was AZA. Uh, so he had a bowling shirt company in St. Louis called bowlingshirt.com. And my dad ran, so his name, his name was Alan. And my dad ran into Alan and, and I grew up with Alan's son, Robbie. So like we were in Hebrew school together and then went to, to, to uh, elementary all the way through high school together. And so Alan and my dad are talking and Alan says to my dad, he's like, yeah, we're building this new, this new website. So they have this new line of shirts called bowling bombshells which were pinup girls that they were putting on bowling shirts and he needed someone to build the site. And my dad is like, well, you should talk to Josh. And so I worked. And so that was like 
the, that was that was probably the middle of 2000. I had worked at the consulting firm for not too long because the conditions weren't amazing. And the guy that owned it was actually not nice at all and was a total like liar. Like he would say things and then the next day, like I never said that. So I was like, okay, time to go. And it just worked out perfectly. And I got that job and I built this website at, at bowlingshirt.com. The only thing I didn't do was make the actual graphics. But I made, I put the site, I made this drag and drop uh, uh, where you could, like this bowling shirt, you know, like this, with the ASP. You could, yeah, exactly. You could see, like, you could drag the pinup girl that you wanted. You could choose what bowling shirt you wanted to see it on. And I wrote all the content. So that was like my first foray into it. And then I, you know, other steps along the way. And then I got to Israel and I started doing marketing here in Israel. And then I started my own company with a buddy who at the time was here. And then he since moved back to Canada, but we had a marketing company. And for eight years I did marketing. I had my own marketing company in Canada. Cool. So you did the agent, you had the agency for eight years. What happened there? Uh, a few things. First of all, Being in a being an independent American in Israel is extremely uh, difficult and expensive. And um, you know, at, for the first few years, I was a sole proprietor, right, Osek Morshe, and something that my accountant at the time didn't understand was that I'm going to get double tax on Social Security. So I actually for three years got taxed on Social Security that somehow that or it was actually two years that somehow slipped by those two years. And then the third year was just like I actually just didn't have the money to, to pay off that that debt. And it's actually growing right now. And I need to figure out what I'm going to do about it. So the way around that is to be a, is to, to incorporate. And then I pull a salary from that from that company. But that's also expensive. Right. So just for bookkeeping and uh um uh, accountants is like another 1500 shekels a month before taxes right so not to mention the so extra social security tax that i have to pay as a both as an employer and as an employee and it just became so ridiculous for a salary like at the at the end of the month i would maybe see half of of the salary that i was pulling from actually from canada and it became so much of a headache that it just wasn't worth it. So that's part of it. The other part is I actually got into the relationship with my business partner and with my ex-wife at the same time. And when I look back, that was definitely, an omen is the wrong word, but there was something going on. God and the universe were showing me something. I had to get into those two, two relationships in order to make it to the other side, to become like, to become the person that I am now people pleasing and all that kind of stuff. And so I had to experience these two different types of relationships with people that were also dysfunctional at the same time to help me understand my own so that I could break that cycle and not pass it on to my kids. And so my relationship with my business partner actually lasted longer than that with my ex-wife because he's, he's, he's a good guy. Like I, I like him, right? And I still want to be friends with him, but we were not compatible as business partners. And I had to go through that as well to understand that, okay, I need to go be on my own and do my own thing. And so in January, this January, I sold my part of my business back to him and had started looking for a job, 
It was a horrible, horrible time to look for a job too, because the global job market and economy just went into the tank. Right. And all of the money that I got from the sale of my business floated me because as an independent, I don't get unemployment. So right. my sale of my business was my unemployment, basically. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So so now you're you're DJing, you have a good marketing job now. Right? Okay. Yeah, that's all right. Good. Um, and so, you know, you said you also have hobbies like hiking and cooking. You know, yeah. Are, are you giving them any attention or are they just things you, in theory, want to do? No, I try. So in Rehoboth, close to where I live, like really five, seven minute walk tops. There's just like this gigantic nature. I don't know. Part of it's a nature preserve, actually. I don't know if the entire thing is but it's this huge tract of land. I mean, gigantic. So I take walks back there all the time. There's trees, there's paths, there's like, there's farms back there. And just to like go clear my head, you know, sometimes when I want to go do something different with my kids, I'll try and take them somewhere. My daughter's more into it right now. My son is still at the part where he's like, you know, if he's walking for more than 10 minutes, he's starting to complain. So, or five minutes sometimes too, right? But I do want to, I mean, there's so much cool stuff, even though this place is so tiny, you know, there's so many cool little places, you know, I took them camping a week and a half ago in Afziv. Now, had I known it was going to be that packed, I would not have taken them sure. because the last time I went to Afziv was in 2010. Not the last time I went, but the last time I went camping in Afziv was 2010. It was me and I had this Mexican girlfriend at the time. She was, it was like the weekend before she was leaving and we went camping enough to see them. I, I can't say with 100% certainty, we were the only ones there. There couldn't have been more than five other people anywhere. This last weekend, yeah, there was probably somewhere between 750 and 1,000 people there. <laughs> if I had known that, I wouldn't have gone. But at the same time, we went camping. You know, they went in the water. We went swimming in the water at Achziv, which is really, really nice. And it's shallow so that they can they can walk and be comfortable there. So that was nice. And, you know, I just try and go, like, just being outside. Because, you know, as a digital marketer, I'm in front of my computer all the time. And I, you know, also slightly addicted to my, to my phone screen as much as I try to not be. So when I can tell myself, all right, time to go, just get put on my put on my, you know, my trail shoes and just go somewhere, you know, to, to get out of, you know, get out of the house, get away from the computer. Uh, you know, and I've seen some people, you know, you mentioned baked, I don't know if it's baked bovrini or talking about caves. Maybe it is. Are you talking about like those gigantic, big, so there's, huge there's the bell, caves? the bell caves, which that. are, are, that's in Baker also as well. Yeah. And then they also have like the pigeon caves and the tunnels. They have like kind of two sections. I took my kids there. Um, also, Tel Gezer is not that far from yeah. here. So I've taken yeah. them there. You know, sometimes we just drive, because, again, because we're in the Shvela, right? We're not Merkaz anymore. So you can actually drive for 10 or 15 minutes and yeah. just be somewhere. So there's, like, a lot of Moshavim that are around here. Sometimes we'll just go and park and just, like, start walking around there. I'm not that far from... Um, Yar Ben Shemin. Yep. I'm not that far from, which is also close to Yar Ben Shemin, uh, Tel Hadid, Hadid. So there's like, there's places around here to go that aren't that far, you know? 
Or even if I just want to go to the beach and not be in the Merkaz, I can drive 25 minutes, 25, 30 minutes to the beach in Ashdod, you know? So like, or, you know, Palmachim has the best yeah, area Palmachim. So there's no shortage. Yeah, there's definitely an advantage to living in a country that's the size of uh, New Jersey. Yeah. Everything, everything is within reach. And, you know, I found, uh, you know, I follow all the uh, the Facebook groups for all the hiking in this country. And somebody in the Holy Land? Yeah. And there's other ones as well. And uh, somebody posted that there was a natural spring with like six feet deep. They have like a built in, they made like a diving board, like a couple of piece, big pieces of wood. So you can jump in and it's 10 minutes from the house. So I was there twice this week with uh, first with the little kids. And then the little kids came back and were like, this is the coolest place ever. So then my son went. So now went, my goal is to get my oldest to go also. Um, but yeah. Send me a I, link. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do. The video should be up this week, um, cool. which is part of the, you know, my YouTube channel, uh, my other YouTube channel uh, is showing all the local spots because Israel is a big tourist spot, but there's so many local cool attractions that nobody goes to. That, yeah. as far as tourist wise but it's just a beautiful country there's national parks everywhere there's national parks no one knows about i've got the you know the yearly national park pass which you go twice and it's pays itself off um so there's some uh so i've got like one adult plus three plus children so mine is less than 100 bucks so yours will be even awesome less. yeah awesome um, and then there's things like going down the main highway from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. There's a national park to the right, but on the left, there's another natural spring that people like thousands of cars <laughs> drive by a day and have no clue. And they just recently put up picnic tables. They covered it. Um, it's shallow. So kids from all ages can go. Uh, so there's just, there's just everywhere. Um, so yeah, you're hundred percent right. Uh, definitely. If you're into hiking outdoors, too many people have no idea. Yeah. They just go to work. They come home. They sit in their house. And to me, it's, it's just a shame. So yeah. I'm trying to get You mentioned your YouTube channel. I think that, you know, something that I, that after, after we had our conversation, what was it, like a month ago already that we that yeah. we did show, something like that? That's right. You know, I've been thinking about side hustle. Like I'm trying to figure out, all right, like, like where do I belong? Because, you know, living in Israel – this place is insanely expensive and you just have to, you know, unless you're one of those people that's in, in, you know, high tech with, with like a really good job in high tech, that's paying a whole bunch of money. Like you kind of have to let's sort of like claw your way along. Right. And so I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, something that I, that I checked out. I saw you a couple of YouTube, YouTube videos from this one guy who does um, print on demand shirts and coffee mugs and stuff on Etsy and he uses, you know, obviously he uses, uh, what's it called? Mid journey, mid journey, right. Yeah. Uh, to create the designs for that kind of stuff. And so I was thinking, you know, maybe that, but I also have an idea, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, and being in these entre like online, especially for online marketers, uh, the lifestyle can be like, if you don't, if you don't find that sweet spot, if you don't figure out how to make things work as well as possible, nothing is 100%. Obviously, nothing is black and white. Like, it's either not working or working amazing. Obviously, you know, there's the full spectrum. But 
it can be so stressful and so and if you don't have a support system for that like my ex-wife I can't even count how many times she told me that I should just quit my company and go find something else. And I entertained the idea. I remember, you know, I used to look for jobs, but I didn't have anyone that could like be behind me. So I think to myself, and I know that there's, there's therapists and there's coaches and stuff that are for like entrepreneurs, but I'm thinking to myself, maybe even, you know, a forum for, for, for market online marketing entrepreneurs that maybe at some point I could figure out how to monetize, but like something, cause I also don't want to be in front of a, a, in front of a computer for the rest of my life. Like I think not, I think I'd rather be a therapist. If I could take my desire to be a therapist and understand and, 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 you know, get certification of some kind with my experience of being an online marketing entrepreneur and combine that, like sure. there's a lot of people that need help because it is so stressful and there are people that, that, you know, the people that haven't gone through their personal, emotional and psychological process yet and don't understand that a lot of the stuff that they experience is just being rehashed from their past and don't know how to separate themselves from that critical inner voice and the, the anxiety and all that kind of thing. Like when you're an entrepreneur and you're entangled in all that kind of stuff, it can be horrible. Like it can really, really be horrible life when you think to yourself, what if my clients all go away next month? I'm screwed. You know, like I don't have a pair, like I don't have a safety net. I don't have like, and with COVID, when COVID hit, so many people went online marketing. Right now, everyone and their mom thinks they're an online marketer. And I'm sure, you know, they'll all get filtered out at some point. But at the same time, it can be a really, really horrible, lonely lifestyle when you think, you know, you're by yourself trying to make trying to make ends meet and no one's buying or you're not getting any responses to your outreach or your campaigns aren't working. You're like, well, fuck man, what am I going to do? I'm going to like I, sink or swim. And so if, if, if I just need to take action, right? Like I yeah. just need to just do it and make a form and just like start and I yep. can, and I will, I will. And I'll probably do the Etsy thing too. Although I would want a VA to help me with the Etsy thing, just to make all my drawings and do the upload, or like to to upload everything and take care of all the you know the the busy work. Yeah. But I think those are probably the two things that I'm gonna that I'm gonna get into at some point and then in the very near future. Plus, we need it here, right? Like, like if you like I said, if you don't have that high tech job that's paying you thirty or forty k per month, this place is heavy. Right. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you do it? I don't sleep. <laughs> I, I don't sleep and uh i don't know i also wrote a children's book about patience so as i tell people i wrote the book on patience so slow and steady nice one when i was a kid my one of my favorite books was the little, little engine that could sure you know still you read know? that yep so there there is no not doing you just you'll eventually get there um yeah but there's a there's an nlp course have you heard of nlp and I don't yeah, have any, I, yeah, so that might be something that you can use because I know people use NLP for coaching. And so, and you can get a certification in that uh, relatively straightforward okay. as opposed to going all the way uh, to back to school. Um, that may be a route. I can connect you with somebody who's done it that you might know. Sure, sure. So, Actually, if I could afford it, I would totally go back to school. Yeah, I'm not a school person. You do it. And that'd be a, such a nice break. 
from the grind. Oh, I have class today. Awesome. Yeah, I think. The- what are you doing today? I got a final. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. To me, life is enough tests. That I don't need any more. Especially True. when some when someone else is judging. I don't need that. I mean, if we're talking about if we're talking about you know getting certified so that you can charge somebody like legally charge you know and also to have the edge like i wouldn't i don't think i would necessarily want to go back and get like a psych degree or something like that because i also know the stuff that i've been through you know the different types of therapy that i had i mean for me that's education enough i know that i can help anybody through you know emotional spirals and and the flashbacks and all that kind of stuff like i can help there and trauma and whatever but you know if if you want to make a living off of it in this country you have to have i mean it's better to have a certification let's put it that way sure absolutely um there are enough courses out there but i know nlp is one of the more official ones than you know some random coaching course that no one knows about right okay yeah so uh, i'll send you some stuff after the yeah after the, please after this uh sure. so about your kids so would you say you know your relationship with your kids have been the same the whole way through they were little they were no, super little not. when things were bad right like I, so don't forget my divorce actually the first year of my divorce took place in the first year of, of covid and so that was miserable that was utterly miserable and i mean I can't say I took it out on them. I was just, I mean, you know, we were all taking it all out on each other and it was just a, it was just a bad situation. And they had to be around a person that wasn't balanced Two people that weren't balanced. Uh, now my daughter, you know, she was, um, she was four when it first started and my son was one. So, she was also around when there was yelling and when there was fighting and he was a baby that's not to say that he didn't absorb it you know mm-hmm. subconsciously or through whatever ways that people that don't understand english can still absorb right so he took some too like i'm not to take away from that but my daughter understood things and i think that she blamed me for a while my relationship with her was really really rocky even before the divorce and then after the divorce it was not it, it wasn't good for for a couple of years but over the last few years i think as a reflection of the work that i've done on myself that i just opened up i was able to open up more to her and to them you know them generally and her specifically that the relationship between us is now i mean it's way better Wait, she's she still needs help. I think she she definitely needs therapy. But um I mean it's night and day, the difference between, you know, what it was like a couple of years ago and what it's like now. That's great. And yeah. when do you see your kids? What's your schedule? Every Monday and Thursday and then every other weekend. Got it. All right. Yeah. Sounds pretty standard. There's a book. Um, by Pete Walker called CPTSD from Surviving to Thriving. 
and and in it there's like you know he talks about the abandonment that you face you know, from dysfunctional parents right and so my parents were not there for me at all emotionally like you know i had bullies when i was growing up they didn't do anything about it like i was like just like left to the wolves kind of thing and so no one ever defended me and there's a, there's a, there's there's this this recurring theme in the book where he talks about you need to be your biggest defender no matter what even if you hurt someone else in the process not saying that you should but first and foremost think about yourself and if you hurt someone else in the process then you can go back and you can apologize and you can you know right make it right but but first thing first worry about yourself defend yourself and so you know and that was not a natural thing for me at all like i never knew how to do that because no one ever did it for me and so you know over the past few years i've learned that yeah i'll stand up for myself and i'll I, I would stand up for myself like you know when i was younger and people were maybe messing with me um but in terms of do i actually feel it like if i was physically threatened i would stand up for myself right but right. but when it's just like sort of a you know like a non-physical thing but that you still need to defend yourself i didn't necessarily know how to do it i hear i hear you i definitely hear you and you know, speaking of your kids, you know, this is the Two Dad to Quit podcast. So we like our guests to share with our listeners a Two Dad to Quit moment, a moment when you were like proudest as a dad, you watch this happen or something happen and you just feel like the pride go straight to your face and you just smile anytime somebody asks you, this is the story that comes to mind. Uh, well, I would say anytime my kids ask me to listen to The Grateful Dead, that happens. But other than that, I think with my daughter, there's not there's not really one story so much. It's more like she's really, really talented. Uh, she's really artistic. Like I look at the stuff that she does, and 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 I'm just like, you know, every time anew, I'm just like, I I can't believe this little person put out something that looks like that. Like really, really good. And every time I see her make a drawing, I'm just like, wow. Like, she's half mine. <laughs> With my son, um, he, I like, I mean, because, you know, he's just five. So I'm still watching him develop and grow. I mean, she is too, obviously. But she, you know, her personality, she, you know, she's been, her personality has been separating itself already from to becoming her own person or his just really kind of starting but what i like to see is sometimes when we're out and we're going hiking and he does he's not complaining because he like takes the lead and he's five yeah he's like and he just starts walking I'm like and he's like ah but where are we going i'm like i don't know man i'm behind you i'm following you and you can see he's just going wherever it is that he wants to go and it doesn't really matter and he's just he's in charge and so when i when when he's doing that um you know that makes me like, I, like I'm, I'm happy he's now also starting to become his own his own person perfect and yeah. the last thing we like to leave, leave our listeners with is some advice tips that you would give to anyone who's you know thinking about divorce going through divorce um, on the other side of divorce some something maybe you would have wanted someone to tell you you know at some point don't be afraid like so many of us, or I'll just speak for myself. 
it was more comfortable for me to be in a bad relationship than the, the prospect of not, of being alone and not being in one. And for those people that think, well, maybe this is, maybe she's, maybe he or she is the best I can do. If you're not happy, you can definitely do better. Even if being alone means better. Wow. So thank you, Josh. Really appreciate yeah. you coming on. And uh, sure. this has been the Two Dad to Quit podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And we'll see you next week. This podcast provides a platform for our guests to express their own personal views and opinions. Some or all of these views and opinions may not be shared by Ben and or Yo. Thank you for listening to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. Available at twodadtoquit.com. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode.